We come today to the final message in this series called the, How Fundamental Are the Fundamentals? It's number 13. What should I believe about the judgment? The 20th chapter of Revelation is the setting for this very important message. This very important truth that is heard so very little about, it seems, anymore. Now, I want to review for you what I believe to be the order of events that the Bible projects for the church. And I want to refer to this chart that I have put together, which is available out in the lobby following church, or to those watching us by television. This chart is available if you call us or write to us. We would be happy to give you this chart from the church age clear to the eternal order and how everything fits together. It can help you immensely to understand what the Bible is teaching us about things to come. Last week, we talked about the rapture, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. The dead in Christ will rise first. We which are alive and remain will be caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the air and so shall we be forever with the Lord. That's the next big event on God's calendar. The church is going to be taken out. Then in Revelation 19, 1 through 9, you have what happens in heaven after the church is taken up there. The great marriage feast. The judgment seat of Christ where our works are judged. What the believer has done following his conversion, will be judged. In Revelation 16, you have what happens on earth while we're up there at the marriage feast. We call it the time of great tribulation, when the wrath of God is going to be poured out upon the world. Then in chapter 19, verses 11 through 16, you have Christ returning to earth with his saints, to reign on earth a thousand years. We call it the millennium. Then in chapter 20, verses 1 through 3, Satan is bound a thousand years, and as the songwriter has said, we'll have no tempter then. After the thousand years, according to chapter 20, verses 7 through 9, Satan is loosed for a season, and he goes out to deceive the nations of the earth. I love chapter 20, verse 10. Satan and the false prophet are cast into the lake of fire, and it's like the films that come across the TV screen. When it's all over, it says, The End. That's chapter 20, verse 10. The end of Lucifer, or Slewfoot, and the false prophet. They are cast into the lake of fire and they'll never get out and we'll never have to deal with them again. And then as we have read today, chapter 20 verses 11 through 15 deals with the judgment. The wicked dead are raised and brought before the throne. The wicked dead if there is to be a judgment of the wicked, the ones to be judged must be brought up. 
Now, there are many Bible references to this. One of them is Daniel chapter 12, verse 2. Notice, and many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. Jesus said in John 5, 29, and shall come forth they that have done good unto the resurrection of life and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. Jesus said that. Not me, not some preacher. Jesus said that. Revelation 20, verses 5 and 6. The rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. Important line. Until the thousand years were finished. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power. I referred already to 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 16. The dead in Christ will rise first. So it speaks over and over again of the bringing forth of the dead and it refers again and again to two different occasions. The first resurrection being that of the saved, and the second resurrection being that of the damned. At least a thousand years in between those two resurrections. So, we are dealing this morning with the conclusion of the thousand year reign of Christ on earth. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one according to his works. 13th verse, Revelation 20. Now don't ask me how that's going to happen. I just know God is God. And I know that every particle that he ever created is still in existence. Every molecule that goes into these bodies is never lost. So what he is saying is that the graves are going to give up their dead. Whether it be the grave of the sea or the mountain or the desert, they are going to give up their dead. Every molecule is still there and they're going to come together and a body will form again just like it did out of the dust of the earth the first time. And we are going to have to face the God of whom we have something to do with. Not one dead body will be left anywhere. That's the bottom line. Boy, somebody's saying right now, what a radical... Does he really believe that? You better believe I believe that. Because that's what this book teaches. Now you probably won't hear that in the university. You may not even hear that in some theological seminaries, but mister, that's what God says, and that's what his servants have said who truly believe this book. We all have to Face God, every one of us. And every body is coming back to life. Now I have four points. 
Neither will take very long, but it's important that you get every point. Number one, who will be judged? Well, look at it in chapter 20, verse 12. I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. So, small and great. What does that mean? It means wealth and power will not save one person. It means prestige means nothing with God. Prestige as man understands it. It means it doesn't matter how high up on the society list your name is found. The small and great stand before God. It also means that if you're in poverty, you stand before God too. You can't hide behind your poverty. That will not save one person, smallness or greatness. Everybody stands before God who has rejected Christ. Secondly, not only the, the small and the great, but it's important to note that it does not have anything to do with what acts you have committed in life, such as murder, or adultery, or idolatry, or thievery. Murderers will be there, yes. Adulterers will be there. Thieves will be there, yes. But not because they were murderers. It will be only because they were Christ-rejectors. That needs to be said loud and clear. You see, there are murderers and thieves and adulterers all around who have been saved by grace, who will be in the first resurrection and will stand redeemed in the presence of God and will hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. But in this resurrection, in this judgment, some good men will be there, some philanthropists who blessed mankind, helped the poor, served communities, they will be there simply because they rejected Jesus Christ. That's the only foundation. Now, if you want a little illustration of that, open to Revelation chapter 6. There are three verses that say it loud and clear, where every distinction is swept away. Chapter 6, Revelation, verse 15. And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come and who is able to stand? If you want to study that carefully, it simply says all distinctions are swept away. Small and great, kings and paupers, slaves and free men, all face God. That's who will be judged. Secondly, who will be the judge? Acts 17.31 says it as clearly as any passage of Scripture could say it. Acts 17.31 reads, God hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained. 
whereof he hath given assurance unto all men in that he hath raised him from the dead. The man God has ordained identified by the fact that he raised that man from the dead. Who is he referring to? Of course, the Lord Jesus Christ. Get this picture with me. Jesus one day stood before Pilate and the creature judged the Creator. This time, the creature will stand before the Creator. The Creator will judge the creature. Quite a difference. The man that God hath ordained is the man that a creature sentenced to die on a cross. And now the Creator will judge the creature for his sins, for his rebellion, for his turning away from the grace of God. How tragic to go through life rejecting the light, then one day have to come face to face with the unapproachable light unforgiven and doomed forever. You see, every good-thinking person will accept the light now and enter into his blessed eternity rather than rejecting the light now and facing the unapproachable light in judgment to hear him say, depart from me, I don't even know you. Perhaps I could give you an illustration of this. A judge, on one occasion, had the opportunity to save the life of a man.
Sometime later, this man was arrested for a crime and brought to court. Would you believe he stood before the judge that had saved his life? As he stood there, he said to the judge, Don't you remember me, judge? I am the man you saved. Have mercy on me now. The judge looked across the bench and grimly replied, I remember you, but things are different now. I was your savior then, but I am your judge now. Friends, I don't know anything that gives me the picture of what the Bible teaches than that. That's exactly what is going to happen as God gives the judgeship to Jesus and we come before him having raised our fists in his face saying, I'll take my chances. There is no God or a God of love won't condemn anybody to hell. He will say, I was your savior then, but I am your judge now. You have rejected mercy. He will be the judge. Thirdly, what will be the judgment? Verse number 15. And anyone not found written in the book of life will be cast into the lake of fire. Friends, when we read that last verse of Revelation 20, something ought to come over us. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Now apparently, there is a book of life. When everyone is born, the name goes into that book. In Revelation 3, 5, Christ promises that the believer's name will never be blotted out of the book of life. Look at it. Revelation 3, 5. Jesus says, the believer's name will not be blotted out of the book of life. Apparently, in that book where everybody's name has appeared, there are spaces where the name is blotted out. The scenario is simple. The person stands before the judge whom we've identified as Christ. The angel in charge of the book of life is asked by the judge, is the name written there? And the angel says, his name, her name is not here. The judge says, depart from me, I know you not. The songwriter picked that up, it's a hymn in our book. Is my name written there on the page white and fair in the book of thy kingdom? Is my name written there? He wrote three verses of that hymn and the third verse is his affirmation. Yes, my name's written there on the page white and fair in the book of thy kingdom. Yes, my name's written there. I can say that. My name is there. My name is there. Washed in the blood I am. 
redeemed by grace. My name is written there. Is yours? Notice, please, it is not the absence of works, but the absence of the name that dooms the person. All names are written before that day. Many of earth's greatest sinners have their names in that book. Vile they were. But they embraced Christ. And their name is in the book. And I just must tell you that you don't get a chance on that day to get your name back in the book. If it isn't there, it's not there forever. No second chances. Any whose name does not appear is cast into the lake of fire. Interesting that way back in the early pages of the Bible, Exodus 32, 33, God was speaking to Moses when he came down from Sinai and God said, Whosoever hath sinned against me, him will I blot out of my book. Moses, if your people don't repent, I'm going to blot their name out of my book. See, God was talking about it centuries before Revelation was written. Whoever hath sinned against me, him will I blot out of my book. That's what the judgment is. A lake of fire. Fourth point. How can you escape that judgment? Get your name in the book. You mean I don't have to go to Mecca? You mean I don't have to climb the Himalayas? No. You mean I don't have to take a trip to Rome? No. You mean that I don't have to serve for X number of years? No. Just get your name in the book. John 1.12, as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Is that so hard? As many as received him. Romans 10, 9 and 10, if you believe in your heart, if you confess with your mouth, you will be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Revelation 3.20 Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice, will open the door. I will come into him and will have fellowship with him and he with me. Is that so difficult? Men have made it difficult. It's so simple. A child cannot err therein. We have complicated the gospel. All Jesus asks is that you embrace him. You take his gospel. Receive him. And he, in turn, writes your name in the book. Don't reject God's offer. Form another picture with me. Jesus is on the middle cross. Thieves on either side. The one over here says, 
Save yourself and us. He reviled him. This one says, Jesus, when you come into your kingdom, I want to be with you. And Jesus says today, you will be with me in paradise. You see, on these two outside crosses, we are all represented. We are either on this side or on this side. We are either saying, I'm going to do it my way, or we're saying, Jesus, I take your way. It's that simple, neighbor. That easy to understand. If you want to take your chances, I feel sorry for you. By faith, this man said, I'm going to believe and I'm going to enter into the kingdom today. And he did. Ethan Allen is a familiar name. He, of course, was the leader of the famed Green Mountain Boys during the American Revolution. He lived from 1738 to 1789. But what we don't know about Ethan Allen, many of us, is that he spoke out everywhere against religion. He was the Madeline Murray O'Hare of that day. But he had a little girl, a daughter, and his little daughter was lying in a bed dying and asked for her father, Ethan Allen. He came hurriedly. She looked up at her famous daddy and said, Daddy, I am going to die. Mother says that there is a Christ and a hereafter. You scoff at such things. I am dying now, and I must make my final decision in this minute. Which one of you shall I believe, Daddy? Shall I accept my mother's Christ or your infidelity? The great Ethan Allen's body began to shake and he began to sob. The great soldier turned with tears streaming down his cheeks to his daughter and said, My darling, it would be better for you to die in your mother's faith and not in my unbelief. Give your heart to Jesus. You see, when the chips are down, friend, it's a lot easier to make up your mind. Today it may be difficult because you feel strong and you feel healthy and you feel in control of your life. But what will it be in that day when your body is quivering and life is ebbing out? What will it be like then when you know that perhaps in a matter of seconds or minutes you are going to stand before the judge of this universe and you're going to have to give an answer to him about your life. My advice is the advice of Ethan Allen to his daughter. Give your heart to Jesus. That's the Bible's advice. That's the advice of the rich man who died and went to hell in Luke 16. 
in hell being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and he said, please go tell my brothers not to come here. Why did he do that? He was in torment. People scoff at Revelation 20:15. We'll be cast into the lake of fire. They say, ha, lake of fire. Can you believe that? The rich man believes it because he was there. And in torment, he said, go tell my brethren not to come here. God sent me to tell you, don't. Go there either. You don't have to. How can I say it any stronger with more empathy and conviction than I am trying to say it? Don't go there. Don't perish. Receive His grace. Our calendar is divided by when he came and before he came. All of history points to a day in the future when every person will stand before the judge to be sentenced. You have the opportunity to be in the first resurrection or you will be doomed to the second. I plead with you, I urge you to make a decision that's sensible, that's based on the fact of this book. Take him by faith. Jericho's walls are going to fall. Sodom and Gomorrah will be burned up. Judgment always falls. Whether it's Pompeii, Rome, Sodom and Gomorrah for the people of Noah's day, but he found grace in the eyes of the Lord. We have come from somewhere, friend, and we're going somewhere. I stood before a television camera the other day with a newscaster who Ask me about this new possibility of freezing bodies so that until a discovery is found for the disease or the illness, they are kept in the state until the discovery is found. Then they are unfrozen and they can be brought back by the discovery of science. I said, I have one simple answer. It's Hebrews 9.27. It is appointed unto men once to die, and after that, the judgment. I believe that with every ounce of my being. It is appointed unto men once to die, but after that, that's the big key. After that, what about after that? After that, the judgment. It's like trying to get away with it when you have a father. After that, oh, how did he know he has eyes in the front of his head and in the back of his head 
something on either side, and he knows, oh, he knows. He can read right through you. <laughs> That's a gift God gives to a father. God knows. He knows whether you have received his son or not. He knows whether you've asked for forgiveness or not. He knows whether you're hiding it or not. It is appointed unto you once to die. But after that, what about after that? Will it be after that the resurrection with the saved, joining Jesus in the clouds? Or will it be after that the judgment of the great white throne where he will say, the name is not there. Cast him into the lake of fire where there is weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. He gives you the opportunity now to embrace his gospel. This is called the dispensation of grace. What are you doing about it? I don't want to sound crass or harsh, but I can only sum up this message in three words. Turn or burn. Now somebody has to say that to America. To the world. Turn or burn. He sent preachers to warn us. He gave us the Bible to read. He sent Jesus to take our place. Is it unfair if He demands of us an answer for our life? I think not. Turn or burn. I hope you're a good thinking person today. And you will say, it would seem the wisest thing to turn. Look at Jesus as that thief did and say, Jesus, I want to be with you when you come into your kingdom. I want every head to be bowed and nobody, no one to be moving in these next few moments, please. With our heads bowed, with people watching us across America who feel the conviction of God's Holy Spirit whom God is zeroing in on because this is a moment of opportunity. I ask you to do what is right. Embrace Jesus Christ as Savior. As one of our hymns says, which we're going to sing in a moment, the Savior is waiting to enter your heart. Why don't you let him come in? I ask you to make a decision today. If you know you are not ready to meet the Lord, if you know you have not been forgiven of your sins, you have not embraced the love of Christ for you, I want to ask you to do something very bold. I want you to stand to your feet in this auditorium right now, wherever you are, just get right up 
and say by standing, Pastor, pray for me. I want Jesus in my life. I want to be saved. I don't want to go to hell. I choose heaven. I choose eternal life. I choose God's plan through Christ today. Would you stand right now? Just get up. Come on, don't be afraid. Jesus died naked on a cross, unashamed for you, before all of those gathered there at that hill. Will you stand unashamedly and say, Jesus, I receive you today. Thank you, buddy, right here. Stand up now. Come on. Don't be afraid. I won't embarrass you. I'm just asking you to make your decision. God bless you, friends. Stay standing, please. God bless you, sir. God bless you. Others need to stand. Oh, I wish I could just come down and lift you up, but you've got to make the decision. Thank you. Way up there in the balcony, way up on top. God bless you. And several on the right-hand side. And thank you, a couple... God bless you over there as you join hands. Come to the kingdom together. That's the way to do it. Husbands and wives, children with parents. God bless you back there. How many more? Thank you over here. God bless you, sir. Others, just stand right up. Don't be afraid. Another, yes, God bless you, young lady. God bless you. Thank God for these. Others, stand right up. Stand right up. Don't be afraid. Jesus loves you. We love you. We're here to help you. Just get up. Just get up. Just get up. Just get up. Let us pray for you. God bless this young couple back here. God bless you. And while they're standing here, will you embrace him out there, for friend? Just take Jesus right now as we pray here in a moment. You pray right where you are. Now, those of you who are believers, I want you to look up. If somebody's standing nearby, will you go and put your arm around them and pray with me? Just go up. Stand with them right now, please. I want all of these to have a friend by their side. God bless you for helping me. Now let's pray. Lord Jesus, we're asking for miracles all over this church and throughout America. Miracles of salvation. We have preached your word. We believe it. And we know it will work as people accept it by faith. Save these from their sins. Come into their hearts. May they feel the peace of God right now that passes all human understanding. May they know their name is now in that book called the book of life. And now let us all say this prayer out loud, please. Repeat it after me here in the sanctuary and wherever you watch this program. Say it out loud. Dear Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Come in right now. Save me from my sin. Put my name in that book. I want to live for you, Lord. I want to serve you the rest of my life. I want to be in heaven with you. I want to escape judgment. So I embrace the cross. I embrace the Christ of the cross and I accept Him as my Lord and Savior. And I pray this in His name. Amen. Amen. Now would you do one more thing? Those of you who are standing with these dear ones, would you walk with them right down here to the front? Don't sit back down. I want to give you some material. I want you to be right down here with me as Pastor Sapp leads us in number 435. Reach for a hymn book as you stand with me and 
we're going to sing, and I want to just shake the hands of all of these dear people who come, and I want you to welcome them today as they come into the family of God. God bless them. God bless them, every one of them. Let's sing it together, and if you need to come, you come from wherever you are. Those of you who are watching,